Father, Lord, I thank you for today, God. I thank you that each person here is coming to today with a whole bunch of different stuff in different places and stages in life, God. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me afresh right now, that you would come and descend in this place and you'd fill each of us afresh, that you would prepare our hearts to hear and that you would meet us in all the various places that we're at. Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would take us out of this place at a different level, God, that you would challenge us and we would have that humility of heart to hear and actually leave this place deciding to live in a different way or with the hope of your grace in our lives in that area, that we can go out of here uplifted, knowing that maybe we can't, but you already have, that in you we have the strength and ability God, just to to live for you. Lord, I pray, Father God, all this in your mighty name. Amen. So, guys, great to see you all. We are in Acts 28. Woo! That's the last one, if you weren't aware of that. That's the last chapter, last chapter in Acts. So we've been going through that most of last year and a little bit of this year. Acts 28 is a great chapter that follows Paul's kind of time on Malta, not a package holiday, but his time on Malta, and then the onward journey he takes to Rome and some of his time in Rome. It's this culmination in Rome of this great ambition that Paul has. He writes about it for a long time. He's planned about it for a long time to go to Rome, to preach in Rome, to meet the believers in Rome. And then also, you know, he's also had the word from an angel and from Jesus that he would be going to Rome. Remember where we left off last week, where they're shipwrecked onto a beach in Malta and the the chapter starts where they've just gone through this whole massive storm and they've been shipwrecked and this ship's there it's being destroyed and those that can swim swim ashore so this is where it's all starting guys dragging themselves up on the beach and then also all the kind of the as the ship's getting broken apart barrels and bits of wood they're swimming ashore on these bits of wood and landing on this beach, getting down on on this beach and it's wet. They're wet in the sea, but it's wet, it's raining, it's cold. You know, it's not like we imagine some picturesque Mediterranean island. It's a cold season that they're in. It's a stormy season. It's totally and utterly not the plan. It's this kind of like, what are we doing on Malta? What are we doing on Malta, Lord? What on earth is going on? And so let's read together and get into this chapter to see what Luke's writing and then also see what kind of lessons we can learn for our lives today. So verses one and two, we called this Malta to Rome. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Sometimes your calamity, your trouble, your problem, may be the greatest point of connection with others. Now, often the most amazing way to connect with people is actually when you need help. You see, when you help somebody else, it's great, isn't it? We love it and we're encouraged to do that. But what it does is it reveals your heart of love for those people. But when somebody else helps you, when you're in a situation where you need help and somebody else helps you, it reveals their heart of love. It gives them this opportunity to reveal that heart of love for you, to bless you, 
and it reveals people who have this peace towards you. There's this instant connection there when otherwise there may not be. You know, if they turned up on that island as just kind of on a boat that moored up and they were just, they were just there as travelers and traders, they probably wouldn't have had a connection in the same way with the islanders. And the point I want to just encourage you guys in is don't let your calamity, don't let your, what may be your shipwreck, don't let that come and steal all of your focus that you may miss an opportunity to connect with people around you. Maybe for some people it's when you go through those times you really don't want to let anyone in. You don't want to let anyone see your need. You don't want to let anyone connect with you in that way. Because it's hard to be vulnerable, right? Remember Jesus, when he sends his disciples out, he doesn't say, okay, look, make sure you've got this in place and you've got this amount of money and you go and you've always got a backup plan at the next village. He says, go in twos, doesn't he? He says, go out, don't take a purse, don't take any money. It's total need, it's total dependence, putting yourself in this position of need and vulnerability. And I think it can be a challenge, especially for Christians, because we're so encouraged and we are, it's, it's deep inside who we are as believers to be generous, to be loving, to be giving, it can be hard sometimes to receive. And it's great to give, it's awesome to give, it's godly to give, but are we humble enough to receive, to be in need, to say, actually, things aren't going well, I need support. Do we see our need as this opportunity, this moment where God can actually work in that to bring life to other people? Or do we shut that opportunity down? See, whilst God is never the author of our calamity, he's never the author of trouble, God can work through our trouble. He can work through all the challenges that we face, through our need, he can work through that in an incredible way to bring the kingdom. But what the enemy uses to make a stink in your life, all the that falls into your life, God can take and use as fertilizer to grow something amazing, to grow something beautiful. And he does that here in their situation on Malta, a place they never intended to be, a place they never volunteered to be, a place they ended up arriving to where it nearly destroyed them, the shipwreck. So verses three to six, it says this, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself to his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to, be, to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, he was a god, right? It's like the opposite of Laodicea where they think, they think he's a god and then they stone him this time they think bad of him and then call him a god. Here's a challenge in that that we just see in Paul. How are you going to react to change? How do you react to this sudden change of plans? How do you react when things suddenly aren't going as you'd expected? They're not supposed to be there, right? That's not the plan. That's not what they had intended to happen. But Paul 
I think we see just in that passage, just of some simple stuff that Paul's just got this great attitude. So he lands and he just gets on with what's needed doing. And he picks up sticks, doesn't he? And he builds a fire. He's not too holy. He's not too proud about how he kind of really saved everyone in the ship at the end and the angel and all that. Lot says, I'm not picking up sticks. You build me a fire. He just gets on with what's needs doing. And he picks up sticks. And then he puts those sticks on the fire and this snake jumps out and bites his hand, right? If you think about it, it's like, what? wait a minute this is nuts okay this is the guy called by god it's paul and he's having a seriously bad day he's been shipwrecked and he's been bitten by a snake in the same day that's a bad day it's a bad day by anyone's standards let alone somebody who, who's called by god to go and do something and he's not in that place he's in a completely different place and he's been shipwrecked and bitten by a snake the venom of that snake by the, judging by the islanders, because they see it and they know that snake, that should kill him. He should fall down dead. That's the natural thing, isn't it? That's the natural thing that should happen. The venom of bad circumstances so often should just completely take us out. But in God, there is life because he is life. And what does Paul do? He just shakes the snake off and carries on. Does it hurt? Probably does. He's got two holes in his hand, right? Probably does. But does it kill him? No. Does it take him out? No. Is it uncomfortable though? Yeah, probably. The islanders look at him and they first, they think he's so bad that this judgment's followed him, pursued him out of the sea. He must be a murderer. He's found him out. And now seeing that he's alive, despite that circumstance, they're amazed and say, wow, he must be a God. This guy, he must be a God. When you go through trial, even when it's piled one upon the other, shipwreck, snake bite, all these things, one on another, how will you react? Will that poison take you out? Or is God your hope of life? Is God the hope of breakthrough? Is God that river of life that's flowing deep within you, that deep current of life flowing in you? See, they look at Paul and they say he must be a God because he doesn't die, right? He doesn't die from that bite. He doesn't die from the poison of his circumstances, that snake bite. But what are these guys seeing? What they're recognizing is the life of Almighty God working in Paul, working within him that he should be dead, but he isn't. They're seeing a man standing on the foundation of life, Jesus Christ. It fulfills even what Jesus said right back in the Gospels. It speaks about, you'll take up serpents and they won't harm you. See, Paul doesn't live there because he's somehow immune or some crazy thing like that. He lives just for the reason that the power of God is working in him, and that's his rock. So it doesn't respond to that situation as one normally would, or fall down dead, be completely dismayed by it, because of God in him. He lives in a way that shines God out of him. And you know what? When that happens, when we do that, as Paul does that, the world recognizes that, and they say, wow, what's that? And these guys don't know any better and they say he must be a god but really what they're seeing is the god in him coming out of him and shining out of him the world recognizes the god in that 
And so my challenge for us today is, what are we standing on, even when it seems like, oh man, is it me? This is just worse and worse and worse. Is it me? What are you standing on? How will you react? His grace is never failing. His grace is always sufficient for all and any circumstance. And then it continues in verse 7 and 10. It says, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. Island. He's like the guy, the main Roman guy. They're probably welcomed in because of Julius, the centurion who's with them. He welcomed us to his home and showed us his generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. Remember as well from the Gospels, you lay hands on the sick and they will recover. See a lot of that here in this, this chapter. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honoured us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies that we needed. What are we doing on Malta? You know, what are we doing on Malta? God, you said we're going to go to Rome. We've got to do this in Rome. How come we're on Malta? It may look like for you, nothing's going to plan. You may be sat here or listening to the podcast thinking, I am not where I thought God was calling me to be. God's calling me to be in this place and I'm here. And I've, how am I supposed to get there? I've been driven onto this shore. You know? My situation is not what I imagined life with God to look like and I want to encourage you today I want to encourage you today you know Paul is called to go to Rome isn't he Paul desires Rome Paul's going to Rome but God random events your choices another person's choices may take you to Malta before Rome you may go to Malta before you get to Rome but regardless God can use you in Malta before Rome but not if we're angry or we're bitter or we're just longing to be in Rome we're longing to be in Rome so much that we're not looking at Malta our mind and our heart and everything so in Rome that we're not in Malta don't miss what God is doing right now what God is doing today because you're only thinking what God's going to do tomorrow what God has promised for you for tomorrow. Paul is present. He's present there in Malta. Be present. Be present. Be present in a place that you are. And there's a challenge in that and also an encouragement in that, that as we go through this journey of life, we're going to be faced with many of these Malta moments, these times where we're like, what on earth am I doing here? where we think, this makes no sense. Will we be present in them? That's the challenge. Will we be present in them? Because when we're present, it means God can use us. Because being present means we're stood there, we're engaging with God, we're desiring to be in his presence in that moment. And say, God, what are you doing in this place? What do you want to do here in this location where I am right now? How can I partner with you in this place? We see then opportunities right before our eyes because we're looking there. Maybe our heart's still hoping for this other place, 
but we're not completely obsessed with this other thing. Our focus is him, not the thing. See, God can use a man or a woman like that because you're in his presence, in the present. He can use you to bring the kingdom. This visit by Paul here in Malta over the winter, church history heralds it as the planting and establishment of the Maltese church. Maltesers aren't from Malta, I don't think. But the Maltese church, that's massive. Imagine if they hadn't gone there. Imagine what it may look like today. A church family that's still there today, generations and generations later, all because Paul was present whilst he was there. See, when we're less focused on the trouble, the not being in the right place, the problem that we've got going on, the, this isn't what I thought, God, things would look like. When we're less focused on that, and actually look at what God's doing and ask God, how can I get alongside you? How can I partner with you in this moment? It changes everything. And we read there, don't we, that over the winter, Publius's dad, his father, he gets healed, he's healed. And then that leads to all the sick people in the island, from all over the island, also coming to Paul and also being healed. Imagine that. Imagine that. That's incredible. Some of you, here maybe, listening to the podcast maybe, are in a Malta moment right now. Some of you have been there for months, some of you have been there maybe for years, and you've just been grumbling and complaining about the situation and maybe missing the miracle that God wants to do through you in that place that you're at just now. Here's a thought for us. Here's a challenge as well that we can learn from Paul. As believers our natural state, our way of just being, despite circumstance, despite the rubbish going on around us, whether we've been bitten by a snake, shipwrecked, all this kind of stuff, is to stay present, to stay focused on Jesus, to stay focused on his kingdom, to be in his presence, whatever the situation. Because that will mean that whatever the situation, whether it's because of some divine means you're in this place or it's just happen chance, it's just a consequence of a choice that's been made by you or someone else, that we're always available to God, that we're always partnering with God for him to work with us and through us. And I think that's satisfying. That's deeply satisfying. That's deeply exciting because it's not a life lived in tomorrow. It's a rich life lived in the moment. I think it enriches every single moment where we're not just dreaming about tomorrow and getting through today, but we're living in this beautiful fullness of the presence of God in the moment, in the moment. Let's not hope for the people to be healed tomorrow because there are people right in front of us today who we could be praying for. For example, verse 11 to 16. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship, same kind of ship again, with the figureheads of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. These guys were like gods of the sea. He was replaced years later by St. Anthony. We don't do that stuff anyway. So we put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived in Regium. The next day, the south wind came up 
On the following day, we reached Patoli, and there we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And that's probably Julius is working some stuff out. They're needing to stay there before they travel. And that's probably actually how the guys who you're gonna hear about actually hear and find out that Paul's already arrived, he's on the way spent a week with them and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So remember, they've come across here. Here's the storm. They then go to, they come round, they leave Malta, they go around to Syracuse on here, they go to up here to Regium, and then all the way up to Patoli. You see here, you've got the Appius Forum and the three taverns, and then Rome. I'll speak about those bits in a minute. So winter has come to an end. These guys, they leave Malta, but they leave Malta a completely different place than when they arrived. Just try and think back 2,000 years ago to Malta in that moment. Humanity's changed a lot, but actually families and our love for each other, that hasn't changed. People still love their children. People still love their parents, brothers and sisters. Think of the families that are still together because relatives that winter didn't die. You know, there may be people alive today even whose ancestors were some of those people and that they were born because people that winter didn't die because Paul was present. And here's a thought that in the midst of your calamity, you may be the answer to someone's problems, that you may be the life bringer, even in the midst of your troubles, because God can use your shipwreck and turn it into something beautiful. God can use your shipwreck and turn it into something beautiful. They arrive in Malta with nothing, and yet they leave with everything completely resourced. There's always enough. In him, there's always enough for the thing God is calling you into. Andrew Owen, the guy who founded Destiny Ministries, he always says, there is always provision for the vision. Whatever God is calling you to do, he will resource you to do it. And so they sail, and they sail to Sicily. They sail to Syracuse, and they stop there. It says they stop there for three days. And you can imagine, I'm sure Paul doesn't stay on ship. He goes ashore. And actually, Sicilian church history claims this as like their kind of starting of their church in, in Sicily. And then they carry their journey on to Rome. And the Romans hear about this. Paul writes this beautiful scene down where these guys come out to meet him and it's not just this scene of like let's go to the city walls and say hey Paul welcome yeah come on in you know they travel to the forum of Appius and they travel to the three taverns the forum of Appius is 41 miles away the three taverns is 30 miles from Rome that they're, they're a long way from Rome these are believers who are so passionate and so excited to meet Paul that they travel really far. It's more than a day's journey to go and meet him and greet him. Imagine how much joy and expectancy these guys must have at meeting Paul. And how encouraging would that be for Paul that he's waited years for this moment. He's been longing for it for, for so long. He's been in prison before the journey for two years, hasn't he, in Caesarea, to kind of come to Rome and meet with such passionate welcome to meet with such love and it's it's almost like it's just like his hunger to go 
is matched by their hunger to receive him. And there's this peace and connection that Paul is welcomed into. It's this beautiful picture of this growing church there in Rome, this love pouring out for each other. Verses 17 to 28. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. So he's recounting to them what had happened to him in in, uh, Caesarea when when he went there and in Jerusalem. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected. So I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It's because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we've not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect, talking about followers of the way, Christianity. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. The house he's renting is a pretty big house. It's not like a hut, you know. He's staying in quite a big place, probably paid for by members of the Roman church. He witnessed to them from morning till evening everything about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed about among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, that's the non-Jews, and they will listen. There's a little long section there, but it's a section all about Paul approaching the Jews and wanting to speak to these guys, wanting to make sure there's no animosity between them, making sure there hasn't been any false report from Israel that's come over and is lying about him because he wants a good relationship with these guys. He wants peace between them. He doesn't want anything getting in the way of the gospel when he's sharing it with the Jews there in Rome. He wants them to hear the gospel and not have anything in the way, like anything from his past, anything from things that they may have heard. He wants to smooth it all over. You know, whatever your situation and circumstance, there may be people in your life who maybe it's hard for you to share the gospel because there's certain things that wrong they believe about you that you need to, you, you need to smooth it over. And as we live in life, be above reproach. Be above reproach. Let people see in your life the gospel at work, not that you say one thing and live another. Smooth over any barriers that may stop people hearing or seeing the gospel. And sometimes that's being humble and just being honest about it. Maybe where you've made some mistakes there. But these guys, they want to hear what he has to say. They said, we want to hear what you've got to say. They all come to his house and... 
he shares the gospel there with the Jews. And just like he's done many times before, he starts off by sharing Jesus. He shares the gospel. He shares Jesus from the scriptures, from the Old Testament. They'd have called it the scriptures, the books of the law, the prophets. And he preaches Christ from the Old Testament to these guys saying, look, it's always been about Jesus. It always has. It's always been about Jesus. And then he closes and saying this prophecy from Isaiah and a final statement, and it leads these people to have a disagreement and that they're disagreeing as they leave his place. Some believe, others don't. And we see two types of people here. Some of them, they're believing, and some of them, they just don't believe. They can't accept what Paul's said. Some hear those words from that prophecy in Isaiah and they just can't accept that it's applying to them. That hearing but never understanding, seeing but never perceiving. Maybe for some of them, there's a challenge there to do with the Gentiles coming in to the people of faith as well. There was a big cultural thing around the time that the Gentiles were really only created for destruction. So maybe some people have kind of racial identity issues and they can't accept it. But at its core is this, no, not me, no way. No, I know better. No, that, that thing, that doesn't apply to me. That's not right. At its heart is pride, isn't it? Some are humble enough, teachable enough to receive Jesus. Say, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. The Old Testament, yeah. They wouldn't have called it that. The scriptures, that is about Jesus. I've missed it all these years, but now I see. Now I see Jesus. And others just can't. You know, at its heart, Christianity, the challenge of Christianity isn't a challenge primarily of belief. It's a challenge of humility and pride. Humility and pride. See, the proud person says, I don't need anyone. I've got it under control. I am enough. I am not wrong. I know the way. I don't need you to tell me what to do. But humility says, Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I don't have all the answers. Maybe I, maybe I don't have it all under control. Yeah, God, if you're there, I need you. I see I'm a sinner. I need a savior. And there's a challenge in that. It's where are you at today? If you're listening to this, maybe if you're here, where are you at today? Who do you say Jesus is? Is he the son of God? Or just some guy. See, if he is the Son of God, and I believe he is the Son of God, and he said he was the Son of God, that means that we have to humble ourselves before him, that we have to get on our knees before him and make him Lord, because there's no other reasonable response, no other reasonable way that you could respond to the creator of heaven and earth, the Lord of all the universe. Any other response would be crazy. You may be asking yourself, though, how do I trust God? How do I trust God? How do I trust a God that asked me to humble myself before him, put my life in his hands, trust him, receive his mercy, receive his grace, receive his forgiveness? How do I trust a God like that? How do I follow a God like that? You know, I only look out for number one and everyone else in my life has let me down. Why am I going to start trusting someone else, especially someone I can't see right now? 
You know, the beauty of the gospel is such that God, before asking you to humble yourself before him, first he humbles himself before us. That should completely wipe away any hesitation we have at not trusting him. See, he's born, isn't he, into our world, the lowliest man, and he dies not just an accidental death, but he dies a criminal's death. The completely innocent one dies a criminal death. Totally humiliated. Totally humiliated. Not just executed on a cross, but jeered at. Teased. Having that sign, King of the Jews, nailed above his head. Having a crown of thorns pressed around his crown, around his head. See, the God of the universe, creator of you, creator of everything that you see, creator of joy and laughter and delight itself, he dies totally humiliated so that you would never have to be, so that you could be called child of God, so that you could have a relationship with the Father, that you could be lifted up. He was cast down and pressed down in order for you to be raised up. Will you come to him today? And just to end, the last two verses in the whole of the book of Acts, last two verses in Acts 28 and the whole book, it says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The last two verses here, two verses in Acts, Paul's under house arrest. It doesn't seem like he's going out. I'm sure it was allowed out at different times, but it doesn't seem like he's going out into the streets and doing his like public preaching. It doesn't seem like he's going off into the synagogue because all the Jews had to go to his house. That he's in his house, and, but he's freedom to preach in this relatively large place. It's almost like a house church that people are coming into and getting trained in. It seems like the trial... Because remember, that's why he's in Rome. He's sent there to stand trial before Caesar. Some of the commentators and historians are either, it hasn't fully happened yet, there's not a decision, and it's just taking a long, long time to get witnesses in and all this, all this kind of stuff. Or it's kind of petered out and the emperor's not really paying attention to it. Either way, Luke decides at the end not to mention anything about the trial in it and just focuses on the church. And actually, theologians and historians believe that Paul's not executed as a result of this trial that a number of the other letters in the new testament that he wrote suggest that the church at that time is far more advanced and mature than it is at this time of coming here and so that he goes on other missionary circuits and travels around and does other things and is later captured again and tried or arrested again and tried and executed years later in rome but from these two verses there what i love about paul is his focus, that he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about Jesus. He's just focused. And there is a challenge for us there as well. There is a challenge for us there. Are we focused on the kingdom and on the king? Are we focused on the kingdom and the king, on Jesus? And whatever we're doing, are we glorifying him? Are we glorifying him? Maybe it's not preaching. You know, like Paul's teaching. He's in full-time ministry. But you don't need to be in full-time ministry to do that. 
you can partner with God in anything. It doesn't have to be a job even. Maybe being a husband or a wife, being a mum, being a dad. He can act through you and he continues to act through people today all over the world. Some of you guys know, or you maybe think you know, you've got this idea of this Rome that you're heading towards. And you, yeah, that's my Rome. That's maybe for some of you guys here, it's the thing you know, God's called me to do this or has put on my heart to do this thing. It's the goal or the goals. And maybe through our lifetimes, we'll have a number of Romes that we're, we're looking at, that we're heading towards, the great visions to be completed, the hopes, the desires of our hearts. You know, for me, seeing Destiny Church planted here in Hong Kong, seeing multiple campuses planted in Hong Kong, a community of people grow and be family together here, to see churches planted out around Asia and further around the world. That's my heart. It's my desire. That could be seen as like my Rome. But greater than any initiative or calling or vocation or project or task or achievement is the greatest Rome. It's the greatest Rome. It's the ultimate Rome. It's that it's the great metropolis of which our heart and our journey should always be moving towards. And that is Jesus himself. It's what Acts calls out to all who read it. Come into my presence. Come into my presence. And from there, by the power of my spirit, act and move and be and live and live life with me. It is this free invitation to the greatest adventure that mankind can or will ever know. You see, there is no life more significant than a life lived for God. You want a life of significance? Live it for God. Live it for God. Whatever your industry or profession, whatever, live it for God. Jesus Christ, he dies on a cross so that you could come into his presence, not to wait around till, till you die and go and be with him, but you come into his presence that from that place, by the power of his spirit in you, you can live and act in this world. And I want to encourage you, step out. Step out into all the beauty and the wonder that life has to offer, this life of greatness that he's put in front of us. But not alone not for your own purposes and plans and achievements, but hand in hand with him, focused on Jesus to see his kingdom come. See, Paul, whilst he desired Rome, whilst he's called to go to Rome, he's got that word from Jesus and reminded by the angel that he's got to go to Rome. His ultimate focus was not on Rome. It wasn't on building and planting churches. It was on Jesus. It was on running his race to the glory of God. So no matter where he found himself, whether it was shipwrecked on Malta or being welcomed into Rome, the cry of his heart was the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus. The kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus. And these acts of Jesus, these acts of Jesus, I just want to drop right back to the very first verse we read when we went through this series, Acts 1.1. In my former book, Theophilus, this is Luke writing, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began, began 
to do and to teach. What's his former book? It's the book of Luke. It's the gospel of Luke. And he's, he's saying, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about everything that Jesus began to do and to teach, that this book of Acts is everything that Jesus has continued to do and to teach. See, these acts of Jesus are still going on today through men and women and children who are pursuing him. Him, our ultimate Rome, above all else. Guys, we're just going to have a moment of contemplation now. And I just want to challenge you. Are you here today and you feel like I'm on a Malta? I'm on Malta. Are you struggling in that place, always looking away, always looking to the thing that you thought you, where you should have been, always looking to what's next? Do you need to make a decision today to be present, to live present, to get up every morning and say, God, I'm excited about today, what you're going to do today. Lord, I pray you reveal what you want to do in me and through me today. Do you need to be humble enough to open up your trial and your challenge? Wisely, obviously, depending what it is, but to let other people bless you in the challenge. And I want to encourage you, if you're going through something today, that God can use it. He's not the author, he's not made it, but God can use it God can use your shipwreck to make you the life bringer to a situation. Is he your ultimate Rome? Is he your grandest pursuit? That you would come into his presence and lead others into it too. Are you pursuing something else more than him? What Are you pursuing some Rome that is more than him? Are you looking for your ultimate satisfaction? your ultimate meaning in something other than Jesus. If that is you, I encourage you guys, just take some time now. Reassess, get before God and make a decision today to make him the ultimate focus. Make him the, the grandest pursuit of your life. Priority number one, above all else. And if you're here today or you're listening to the podcast and you're thinking, hey, you've been speaking about a relationship with God. I want that. I've never called myself religious. Well, you don't have to be religious. God doesn't need you to be religious. God wants you to say yes to him and come into a relationship with him. If you're there today, and as I've spoken, you've been like, yes, he's the son of God. Yes, I, I, I believe you. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I, ne I need a savior. Jesus, I want, I want what you did for me. Then if that's you, just pray this in your heart after me or out loud. Whether you're at home, you're on a bus, you're sat here right now. Pray this in your heart after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and dying on a cross for me. Thank you that 
you went through total humiliation that I could trust you and I could be raised to life in you. Thank you, God, that you paid the price for my sin. And in you, I can have eternal life. I choose to follow you today, Jesus, and make you Lord of my life. In your name, amen. Father, Lord, I thank you for I thank you for today and I thank you for that, that series, God. And I just pray, Lord, that you would work in and through each of us in multiple different ways, God. Lord, I pray that whilst we may have been challenged today, God, Lord, that you build us strong. God, that we're strong. Lord, I, I pray that we would be kingdom bringers, light bringers, life bringers, God, your people so focused on you that even in the midst of calamity, even calamity upon calamity, God, that we would see your kingdom come where we are and people would look at us and be amazed because they don't see the natural things that should destroy a person, but they see the power of God working through our life. Lead us into that place today, God. Lead us into that place. And I thank you, God, we don't have to find the way, that we never could find the way, but you made a way, Lord. I thank you that it is in your grace that we walk into that place, God. I thank you that it's about receiving and not earning, Jesus. And Lord, I just pray, Father God, that you're just that fruit of the spirit of self-control, that spirit of self-discipline, just to give time to be in your presence, to sit in your presence, Lord, that that would grow in us today, that that fruit would just grow in each of us today, Lord, that we would pursue you in your mighty name, God. Amen.